is for Alcoholic is a program about recovery. My name is John and I'm an alcoholic. And my name is Jerry and I'm an alcoholic. Join us as we go through the alphabet of alcoholism one letter at a time. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the big show. Um, A quick shout out to all our Patreon supporters. We appreciate you. We are grateful and happy. Um, If you want to become a part of the Patreon crew, uh, go to patreon.com slash A-I-F-A. That's patreon.com slash A-I-F-A. Every little bit helps get us us to get the show out to more people on more platforms. Word. Um, And if you can't, if you don't, if you won't, um, we also do would appreciate a rate or a review. So five-star ratings are great. Write a nice little note wherever you listen to your podcasts. Let everybody else know what you think of us. And, um, yeah, it just it helps yeah. us get out to more people. And we're here at W. I can't believe it's W already. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> that's really crazy, man. We uh, had a few weeks back. We asked some people. Uh, we did like a Q&A and one of the things I asked is if people wanted to hear our drunk stories, wanted to hear our war stories. So W is for war stories. Um, and again, you know, the the show's about recovery. It's about hope. It's about gratitude. It's about the things that happen after, you know, you decide to quit drinking. Um, but we thought we would share some of our our favorite, our greatest hits, as you called them. The, the greatest Hedwig. hits, yeah. The the glue that binds us all yeah. as alcoholics. You know, some of these experiences may be shared. And like, preface it with it, with it may, I, hopefully it's not, but it may be triggering to some. It may not. I mean, I'd be the first mm-hmm. to tell you like, man, trigger warnings, whatever. But now that I have experienced triggers in my life, I'm like, eh, just heads up. You know, we'll probably, we're not going to try to glamorize our drinking stories, but just let you know that. We did some stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we didn't hike Everest or anything. But, <laughs> no, you know. no. I no. walked a lot. I I spent yeah. all my money on cab fare and walked a lot. That's for sure. Yeah, I did walk a lot too, actually. <laughs> um, so I got up on a couple roofs. I've been on a couple of, maybe those same roofs. We used to get, so yes. when I lived in, in Eugene with, or I should say with you and, and both at the other place where I didn't. There used to be a lot of these late night drunk fests. There was there was hundreds of them. And yeah. um there were uh there were times where another friend of ours and we would get this typewriter and there was this sort of whole Bukowski-esque feeling to it, this sort of Hunter S. Thompson like, let's go adventure into the night, loaded on whiskey and powders and pills and Go to the top. What's that building that has like the zigzag or like the? I don't know what it's called. I think it's Lane Tower, but it's not Lane Tower. Lane Tower was the other tall one. Maybe this that was, was the it. second tall one. Um, I can't remember what it's called. The the zigzag building. I don't remember. I remember breaking into some one of those buildings, climbing up to the roof to go and type supposedly poems. <laughs> I don't know where any yeah. of those rooftop poems let's, are. Let's be like a few hundred feet off the ground and just write what I'm thinking while the sun rises and some per person is sleeping on the roof, you know, mm-hmm. the floor below me. Yeah. So, yeah, that was da- that was dangerous. There was a lot as of As a 43-year-old dude, I'm like, that was fucking dangerous. Right? Yeah, as like a 23-year-old, I was like, I'm going to live forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um. 
there was just a lot of this sort of adventuristic um idea which it, i don't i don't feel like there was any real adventure you know it was the difference no. you know you talk about being brave and this sort of idea of being that machismo and that bravado and that that false bravery and it's it's more reckless than it is brave <laughs> right <laughs> you know yeah it was incredibly reckless um you know it's fu- it's funny because i i try to think back on it with fondness and there are some parts of it in the beginning in the gestation period of my alcoholism that were that I look back on fondly, or maybe there was this sense of freedom. But now that I think about it more often, it's more that I was younger and wasn't tied down by mm-hmm. a lot of things. I don't feel tied down now necessarily. It's just I didn't have as many responsibilities or other people to consider. It was a very self-centered life, but but it wasn't the it wasn't the alcohol that made those nights fun. I just thought it was the alcohol that made those nights fun. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. there was some wildness and I don't know if I would have been as wild or had the inhibitions dropped if I were sober, but uh, I'd probably have like way better credit and, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and a way better disposition and like better coping mechanisms and shit. If there weren't so much alcohol, all the, all the positive At things. Yeah. Most deaf. Yeah. Like all the positive things, most definitely they would be there, but. Um, yeah, it's just one of those things, man. What I would I would like to say is you you have some experience with being on a on a roof on a second story and not making it down so so easily. Oh yeah, <laughs> that was uh, the f- first time I went to the hospital because of my alcoholism. When I broke my leg, I compound fractured my right leg. I um, was in my living room uh, drinking whiskey with some guys from work and we were shooting each other in the house with pellet guns mm-hmm. airsoft guns which was a great idea at yeah. that period in time i was like 28 and we were all shooting each other pellet guns and someone shot me in the temple right near my eye and i got really pissed off and i was like you could have put my fucking eye out that's my bread and butter and the guy like ran out the front door and i lived in a townhouse so i went up to the second story to do something and I saw him run by cause he was still running and I mm-hmm. saw him run by in the sidewalk below and I just kicked the screen out of the window and jumped. And, uh, I landed, I landed like a drunk person and sh- fucked spiral fracture compound fractured my right leg. And they had to call, I had to call an ambulance. One of our friends that was, they all, I fell right in front of the living room window. You remember that old townhouse mm-hmm. and the living room window looked out onto the street and I fell on the sidewalk in front of the street and, and uh, my roommate said I hit the ground so hard the whole house shook. And then he, we had the windows open because it was like early September. It was still hot. And uh, he says he, he remembers me calling through the window, dude, I broke my fucking leg. Like I didn't say I think I broke. He was like, that was the distinction. It was, you didn't say I think I broke my leg. You were like absolute. And I was like, yeah, I could see like the, the top of my foot. Like I could, my foot was at the wrong angle. Jesus. Like I could see my shoe from a different angle than it was meant to be seen. <laughs> So they all come filing out of the house and like one of my friends turned bright green and like I thought he was going to faint. And I was, you know, from my job, I see people faint. So I'm like, this dude's gonna. I'm like, go inside and sit down. And then I look at my roommate and I'm like, bring me the phone, the one phone I haven't smashed yet in an alcoholic haze. And uh, I called my own ambulance and and it was a busy two way street. It was the gut in Eugene. If anybody lives in Eugene, you know, the gut it's Willamette Street. And that's like the main road that goes from like South Eugene all the way into downtown. And it's just a two lane road right there. And it was in front of the old baseball stadium, which was there was a baseball game that night. So traffic was completely full and the ambulance stopped traffic on both lanes to come up 
to my sidewalk and come get me because it was elevated above the street. And, uh, man, there were, like, hundreds of people in cars just waiting for them to fucking put a, a cast, like an air cast on me and take me down in a gurney. It was it was pretty crazy, man. I didn't I walked with a limp for about a year and a half. I have a rod in my right leg. And that was the first time I went to the hospital cuz I was drinking because of my actions while I was mm. drinking, right? And even then that shit didn't sober me up. I quit drinking <clears throat> that period of time for 10 weeks. Mhm. But that's because I was taking Percocet <laughs> instead of drinking. So there was like no healthy it wasn't like and I remember being really proud of myself like man I haven't had a drink in 10 weeks but I was chewing up like two Percocets at a time every like couple hours you mm-hmm. know so I was like just you know being an addict being an alcoholic like replacing one thing for another you know and then the first time I had a drink after that in 10 weeks which should have been a red flag but that first night I actually decided to drink after my hiatus I took that first sip and I was sitting at a table with my ex-girlfriend having dinner and I just started crying I just started fucking crying and she's like, are you serious? And I'm like, I missed you. Like looking at the booze, like I missed you. Like the mindset in that is crazy. I missed it. Yeah, I missed it. Absolutely. And then that started the tear again. I mean, like that one sip led down, led down that pattern. Mm -hmm. That was what, like 2002 or something? That was 2003. 2003. Yeah. 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 Um, I, you didn't break anything. I haven't. I haven't broken anything. I've sprained some things. I've. Uh, um, I get what I was thinking about this. This particular uh, topic and doing stupid drunk things. You know, I used to live with somebody who um, had a had an Adderall problem as well, and um, oh, so yeah. I remember when they were gone on vacation, and I was drunk out of my mind in this apartment, and I was thinking, I just need some Adderall so that I can continue to drink. And I have this very vivid um, memory of kind of going through all of his stuff in his room and just digging through it because he's gone. Now, there's if he had any Adderall, he probably took it with him where he was like gone for a few days to go see family or friends or whatever. Uh And so I'm running around and I'm like, where the fuck would I be if I was if I was an Adderall pill? And so I'm like turning his room upside down and like digging through shit. And I go and I finally he had one of those um, those closets that's on track. So it's on rollers. And yes. so I move the, the out of the way and I start digging around in the little track where the doors and I found one. I found no a little way. pink pill in the track, in the track, yeah. in the closet track. And I was uh, like, that's where, you know, because where would it, I was like, where would it fall? This is how I was like. I Holy had to shit. have the drug. I was like, where would I fall if I was an Adderall? I'm like checking, you know, the cracks between the wall and where the carpet digs in. Oh my God. And yeah. so I like, I found one and I used to, that apartment too. I mean, you came that one summer and you came up for a visit and we just used to oh, listen to loud ass music. This is in the, Nickerson this is the place yeah. in Nickerson and mm-hmm. just drink and drink and drink Seattle. and jump into the river. Did you jump in the river? Mm-hmm. Or was that just me? No, you jumped in the river, and and actually, you were the deeper you're getting, you were naming different philosophers. You were like, man, I'm deep like Sartre, Sartre, or whatever. And then you'd get deeper, and you're like, oh man, it's a little Nietzsche in here. And then you would get like deeper. You said some other, you're like, oh man, it's too Kierkegaard. I gotta get out of here. And man, that water was cold. Mm-hmm. That also was dangerous. I was like, yes. damn, you could have drowned. Yeah, but back to you being the fucking Sherlock Holmes of Adderall. <laughs> you were like Robert Downey Jr., like in slow motion, figuring out like where Homeboy would drop an Adderall if he was being 
you know, not even careless. where he hit it. I wasn't even looking no, where he would drop it. Where he would drop yeah. it. If I was, I was That's just like, great. I need to fucking find one, you know. And that wasn't the only time that we did a bunch of Adderall and drank a bunch in that apartment either. Um, no, but we constantly did. I mean, there were there were uh, friends of ours, and I don't know if you were there for that night, but I know that. There were people that I worked with, and I worked at a coffee shop, and we were all up drinking and drinking, and we all had to work the next morning. Some of us at 5 in the morning, some of us at 10, but still, it was in the morning. I'm only like 23 at this point or something, um, and I just remember like being up and drinking, and we're praying for snow because it's supposed to be snow. And what happens in Seattle when it snows, it doesn't snow enough to like really stick too hard. But the entire city, which is on all these hills, becomes slushy and cars can't drive up and down the hills. Nobody's prepared for this. It's it's not like the East Coast where they salt everything and everyone's got right. chains. You're just fucked. Right. So nobody yeah. goes anywhere. And lo and behold, it snowed enough that nobody had to uh, nobody had to uh, go to work the next day. And I I don't remember who I was with. Maybe I was driving and, you know, at six in the morning to go get another bottle of tequila to continue this yeah. this this I'm just war path. stoked you found the one liquor store in Seattle that opened at six in the morning. Maybe. The entire city of Seattle was all like over a million and some people. There were five fucking liquor stores, man. I remember that. Maybe it wasn't like, six. It might have been serious. nine. I don't know. It felt it was early. But... It, was, it was just the witching hour, whatever mm-hmm. hour it was, man. Yeah. Um But yeah, that that apartment was definitely um, witness to a lot of things. I don't. Know. I can't even imagine. Did you, you didn't even get that security deposit back? <laughs> <laughs> no, that same that same apartment that I think you were there. Another friend of ours. I was. I don't know why I was trying to get a hold of him or something, but he locked himself in the bathroom. Yes. No, because you were fighting and you <laughs> okay. were gonna kill him. Okay. You yes. Were like. I don't know if you're literally going to kill him, but you're like, I'm going to fucking kill you. And he ran in the bathroom and locked the door. So I wasn't there. I came up two days after that. So I opened the hall closet and there's all these street signs that we had stolen off the street because that's what people do. Right. When you're drunk. Right, yeah. Because of course. What, what do, Seems normal. Yeah. So I grabbed one that was like, I think it was like a handicapped parking sign. And I mm-hmm. start beating the door and yelling at him. Cause I think now like something's wrong and I want to, <laughs> right. I'm going like to help he's him. He's done something. Yeah. I don't know. I don't remember my mindset except I have to get into this door. So I knocked the door off the hinges and he had crawled through the bathroom window, which was super tiny and on the second story and somehow made it down. And so right. then for months afterwards, we had a door that you just, when you went in to use the bathroom, had to just sort of rest in the doorway. You had to pick it up and yes. scoot it over. Yeah. And that yes, was I that was manageable. That was that was just manageable. the normal. That was not normal, but that was just how we lived. Like there right. was a lot of these things with like. Oh yeah, I mean, oh dude, yeah. I I remember living in some of those places with you, and we just, yeah. Um, I, I, and, and yeah, I guess you could write it off like, oh yeah, dudes being in their twenties. But I mean, a lot of it was in our thirties. <laughs> <laughs> and dudes in their twenties are not all like this. Dudes in their no, 20s they're not. They're not. Are you know? going to college and going to graduate school and, you know, getting jobs and learning trades and, and, you know, doing things that are constructive and positive. 
you know, setting up the prologue for the success that is their life. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. So yeah. The prologue. If you could see the sarcasm in my face out it's, there. It's yeah. hard because I don't want to regret these things. And there, I mean, there are moments where, I mean, I don't know how you, you know, the whole idea, we will not look back on the past or we will not be afraid of it yes. or be ashamed we would of not it. be afraid of it and like honestly i could see here i could fill hours of this podcast with sad stories and mm-hmm. i could absolutely tell them i mean i i part of me revels in them because i'm a weird person but but uh there was a, so much misery but then there were also these strange things where i look back and it was just really uh it was just really weird it was just uh, weird is the wrong word I, I just lost the word right now but just to look back and be like wow that's how we lived you know mm-hmm. was it disgusting yeah yeah but it was manageable i guess at that period of time at least that you know you can like i said in an earlier podcast you, you tolerate so much over time it just becomes normal well you know and again that, that idea of um that idea of living on the fray on the fringe mm-hmm. um was somehow strengthening it was somehow like it was you know you had you had you had strength you had to do it you know you had um what's the word i'm looking for uh you grit you had grit yeah and now i look back and i'm like fuck dude i just want to be comfortable now i'm doing everything in my power so that i can be comfortable and clean and you know like do the dishes after i'm done cooking the meal and even maybe sweep the kitchen floor (laughs) <laughs> right. You know how I feel about that period of my life, mm. all of it, but mostly with you guys and my previous friends in Tucson, too, that I did graffiti with was I always felt like an outsider. And that's a sentiment I hear constantly within mm-hmm. the recovery community when we talk about our stories. And so I would always gravitate towards other outsiders. And uh, I always found solace in other outsiders. And it just happened to be that those other outsiders were also drinkers, mm-hmm. you know, because that's like that common thread. I hear it constantly. You always felt different or other than or less than. So when I was with you guys, I always felt solace because I found my big group of people who were living outside of what we were normally supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. And I, I loved it. I loved that feeling back then. I mean, now I don't mind being out. Now being alienated and outside is kind of uncomfortable for me. I'm not that I want to fit in or conform or be part of the status quo. It's just, you know, I roll up to my kid's school looking, you know, covered in tattoos. And (laughs) and in Eugene, that's not rare. That's like the norm. But in the school she goes to, I'm like, tattoo dad, you know, Mm -hmm. like, and it makes me feel a little bit like a sore thumb, you know, like I don't regret it, but you know, it's definitely one of those things where i'm sometimes i do want to fade into the wallpaper just to be like an inside agent you Mm -hmm. know like hey i'm subversive i just don't want to wear it on my sleeve anymore you know yeah i and i think at the time when these things were going on when i when i met you and when you came back and we started like really hanging out that like couple years later there was a source of pride in that one um ours was the house that everybody came to party at and it was yeah. just because we didn't care and we tolerated the filth and we tolerated large groups of people just coming over. And like mm-hmm. we and I think there was a certain level of wanting to be if I think about that, there was a certain level of wanting to be accepted by people, accepted by peers. And like you say, you oh, I found my I found my people, man. I don't I don't sure I'm on the outside, but I've got people I uh-huh. can be on the outside with with. Yeah, this is. And, and you know, it's funny is it mirrors itself now within my recovery. Mm-hmm. Is that I was, yeah, I'm now I sit in this room full of outsiders, but we're all actually trying to, you know, improve ourselves, improve our lives instead of just wallow in the in the problem. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just and it's 
It is. And it, it, it definitely correlates to what goes on in my recovery now and the people that I talk mm-hmm. to and the things that we talk about. And we laugh and we joke and we talk about, you know, like waiting until 6 a.m. till the store opens to go buy mm-hmm. more booze. We talk about all the dumb stuff, all the silly stuff that, you know, um, what was some of the other ones that I did? I My run ins with the cops were very few and far between, but some of them I would instigate. You know, like I remember some the cops had pulled some dude over down the street from my apartment and I was drunk as fuck. And I was walking home from somewhere and I get up and I was like, huh, I'm drunk, but I'm bored. So I'm going to go see what the cops are doing. How are you guys doing today, (laughs) officer? So I walked down there. How's your evening? And then, you know, all of a sudden the cops got me up against the wall like, hey, man, what are you doing here? Why are you getting involved in this? Where do you live? Where's your let me see your ID. And um, I was like, no, I just live up here. I'm just going home. And I was like, I don't know what the fuck I was thinking. Like, what was this madness where Mm -hmm. I just wanted to, you know, that sort of feeling of I want to be where it's exciting. I want to be. Yes. Yeah. I would say that during our drinking years, that was definitely my descriptor of you is I'm like, John's looking for something. He wants every (laughs) night to be this big adventure and this big experience and this exciting, thrilling ride. And. I'm just sitting here trying to get my drunk on. He's fucking up my drunk right now. And I was the one. It's like so fucking mad at you. Mm-hmm. I'm like, can't we just drink ourselves to fucking sleep or what? This has to be a whole goddamn adventures and babysitting fucking night. You know, like, all right, fine. I guess I'm going to go to the place with the deep fried avocado. Like, right. I know. Yeah. I know. There was plenty of those nights. I, you know, and I, that was a thing too. And I was like, and I, you know, I really loved hanging out with you because we had, very similar taste in music and movies mm-hmm. and all those things. And, you know, about the same age. So that, that helps too. But I was like, Oh, the yeah. cool to me, I'm friends with the cool tattoo dude. Right. Oh, so that yeah. was my thing. Yeah, right. So, right. No, but that was part of it. That was, that was all part of the cachet, yeah. you know, for me at least. And I remember those nights like rolling around in my fucking car and going to the place, the coffee shop that I worked at six in the morning to go harass the, the morning girl that was working there. And oh, like man. fucking, so still I drunk. still yeah. drunk all all night and finally come home and I'm still don't want to go to bed. Like I had so much energy and alcohol gave me so much energy. And I remember at one yeah. point like trying to fucking go and like wake you back up or something. And you had a knife under the pillow. It was like my <laughs> it was like some old ass fucking hunting knife that I got. It was a, like a dull, dull Bowie knife <laughs> yeah. Yeah. or Bowie knife like, or whatever. Just let me fucking sleep. And it was just this, definitely this thing where I'm just like trying not to, I didn't want the party to end. I No. I always wanted, and it, I think eventually like my body just would, just refused right. to party. You're just going to ride it till the wheels fell off. And, and then the wheels done fell off. Mm-hmm, and I was and dragging like, it shit. behind me. Wheels, <laughs> whip, <laughs> yeah, wheels done <laughs> fell off, dude. So. I don't. Lots of them. I, like I, um, the way I drank too is, um, I never threw up. I never. I only mm-hmm. got cut off once from a bar. I was like, when I was in a bar, I was pretty reserved because I wanted to continue drinking. So if I kept to myself, mm-hmm. I would try not to be an outburst. And the one time I got cut off at a bar, I was up in South Eugene and I was going to the bathroom, and the bathroom was near the fire exit. And the way you, sw- if you swung open the bathroom door hard enough, it would hit the fire exit door and open it up and set off the fire alarm. Mm. So I walked up to the bathroom door and I whipped it open and it hit the back door and the the door opened and the f- 
fire alarm went off in the bar and I just went into the bathroom and peed. And when I came out, the bartender was standing there and he's like, you got to fucking go. I was so drunk. I was oblivious that I'd set off the fire alarm. And I'm like, well, why do I got to go? And he's like, well, first thing, dude, you set off the fucking fire alarm. And second thing, you've been in the women's restroom for like longer than five minutes. So I had walked into the women's bathroom <laughs> yeah. and like swung the door open. And so like they cut me off there. And that was my only my that was the only time only time I can remember being cut off. I've been denied entrance to lots of bars. <laughs> but once I got in there, right. you were you were polite, you were reserved. I was polite and reserved. That was at the beginning, you know, by the end I just drank in my house. No one yeah. was going to cut me off in my house. Me too. I mean, not <clears> even <throat> my wife. She would just be like, "Well, I guess you're going to fucking pass out eventually, you know." Mhm. You're just being in the garage the whole time. Yeah. It was painting. It was <laughs> it was the same I I was not as reserved in in public in bars. No, you were loud, but that's why I liked hanging out with you because you could be wild. So, if we did get kicked out, it was your fucking fault, not mine. So, I would do, you know, things like <laughs> I sir, could can remain you please gold put, star. <laughs> can you please put your shirt back on cuz I'd get all excited oh, yeah. about some swing band that was playing in 98 and the dude was tap dancing on a fucking apple box and I was like, yeah. yeah. Nice. 1998 you stood on a chair and took your shirt off not only did you want everyone to see you you wanted to make sure they could all see you so you stood on a chair and took your shirt off yeah yeah Yeah. and it was just so there there were numerous occasions there was one where i tried to jump on a table for last call at a karaoke bar and i spilled everybody's like last call pictures and beers there then too yeah you were singing no it was last call you weren't singing i wasn't singing but i thought always singing i thought i could get on top of this table and I was, I was, I was a little bit smaller, I but I was always a bigger dude. You know, I'm like 6'1", 200 and probably 230 at that point or something like yeah. that, 240 yeah. maybe. But, um, and I just taught, I just toppled the whole table and they were like, yeah. I tried to run out there and they, they stopped me and they were like, no, you, you go tip the fucking bartender right now. You go give them all your money. I think the door guy or something like that. Yeah. And so there was always this sort of like, I gotta be one. I gotta be the center of attention. Um, I always regretted it and felt horrible about it, but I always wanted there to be like that action and adventure and, and it was, and you know, even when I, it's funny because then I became, then I started bartending on the regular, like when it became my full-time profession, um, Mm -hmm. and I would have to deal with people like me and I would have to, you know, it was like (laughs) this sort of, no, it was like this level of hell. Right. So you now all of a sudden now I was one of those people now I'm in a position, I'm still drinking, so I'm still resentful. Now I see these people and I don't like them and I feel better than them. You know, right. I think that I'm better than them. But on mm-hmm. my days off, or not even wait till my days off, as soon as I started drinking, I would become them. But even like if yeah. I went out to bars and you were there with me going up and down the street and I would just be just as obnoxious. Yeah. And even more so because I felt comfortable in these places. I knew the bartenders, right? So I can get away with shit and I would just... I would do stuff like not tip them. Uh, I would forget. I wouldn't do it intentionally. I remember one time I right. like I racked up a seventy-five dollar tab in no time and didn't tip the dude, right. and had to go back and you know make that sort of amends. But I never learned it when I was bartending. I never learned that like, hey, you can't do this, and that comes from having this fucking disease in yeah. my brain. <laughs> the fact that a seventy-five dollar tab is like would be normal. Mm-hmm. which is normal for like dinner for two people. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I just spent more than that on dinner for me, my wife and daughter, but then you do it every night. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, like base price to, for me to start drinking was like 60 bucks at the bar. That's a lot of money every day, every, every single day. fucking day, every day. That's 
Or like, you know, or I could just go to the liquor store and buy a thirteen dollar bottle of you know, Evan Williams. Mm-hmm. But that was every day too though. That's like Yeah. Every day that's a, that Evan would be gone, you know. And again, it was um, always like I wanted to have some sort of I feel like there was some kind of camaraderie, but I mean mostly we just kept to ourselves. I didn't really go out to like meet new people. It was just me and my friends. Yeah. And like, hey, let's go somewhere no. and let's just go somewhere different and drink. Right, yeah, fuck new people. Yeah. It was always like, fuck the new guy. Who's this fucking yeah. guy? Who are you? You're not one of us. So, But let's go Let's go to different bars mm-hmm. that fucking make other people feel alienated that they're not part of our right? cool inner circle, mm-hmm. our secret society of fucking assholes. alcoholics. Mm-hmm. Like assholes, yeah. So exactly. there was, it was a lot of that. And so, you know, for, for a decade and plus, I was, I was always this sort of angry, resentful bartender when I would just, and, but then I would become this angry, resentful, slobbering drunk, you know? Right. So it's, um, but, and again, in recovery, it's that same kind of thing that I found was, oh, first it's like, I don't think I belong here, man. I don't know who these people are. I don't know who they think they yeah. are, man. Like, but I'm not one of these people. Fuck that. And then you're like, oh man, this is where I belong. This is my, this is my crew. This is my, you know, my experience mm-hmm. was different, but relatable. But I, I remember my early recovery, a lot of um, self-pity. Mm-hmm. Like I would sit in those rooms and I would be like, this is what I've become. Look at what I've become. Look at all these people. They're, they're at their lowest. Look at what I've become. I'm just in this church basement. It smells like old paper. And mm-hmm. I have to drink coffee out of styrofoam. Look how every time, you know, and not to get too much into it, but every time we do the opening prayer, I'd like fucking cry because I'm like, look what I've become, you know? And then after a while, I'd they'd start laughing and they'd start laughing at weird shit. And then they start laughing at shit that I've done. Like some dude would say what I've done, you know? And yeah. then I was like, well, maybe I want to be like these people. Maybe this is good that this is what I've become. And then after a while, I'm like, man, this is what I've become. You know, like the mm-hmm. intonation changes, the attitude changes, but... For me, it was a lot of self-pity. You and I were the same and different types of alcoholics. Because whereas you were loud and open and flamboyant, which is what drew me to you as a friend, I would go out and I wouldn't act out towards the general public. But if you were in a personal relationship with me, whether we were friends or like in a romantic relationship, I would act out on you. Like I was, that was my big thing during my alcoholism, um, and probably even and parts of my recovery is that like, I tend to shit all over everybody close to me. Like if you got close to me and it was us, man, like you were the, you were definitely the cause of all my fucking problems. There was a name you know for what it. I mean? You know what everybody would say. What the robble yes. or what was it? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I would robble. I would robble. I would robble on you. Mm-hmm. If I loved you, I would fucking try to hurt you as hard as I could when I was drinking. But if you were a random stranger on the street, I probably wouldn't say shit to you drunk because I'd be afraid that you would kick my fucking face. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, yeah, it's weird because you would like be really big and loud like a big blooming firework or whatever like a Katy Perry song <laughs> yes. and I was over there like so I don't even know what kind of song I was. It was just a bad one. Mm, was, I mean, not that song. The, yeah, not that fireworks a great song either, but <laughs> you know, like it was it was definitely but that's that's one of her songs it's called fireworks yeah firework oh, i yeah. didn't know i thought yeah. you were just using that yeah, as a descriptor baby but... you're a firework yeah okay i have a kid man <laughs> we get weird man we yeah. get weird crank up the katy perry in the car she got into it not anymore now she's into something else she's mm. into 21 pilots now 
Right on. She's she's kind of emo, I guess. That's what she tells me. Daddy, I think I'm emo. And I'm like, all right, all right you do you. Just talk to me. Y'all, you got to do is just talk to me because your dad's an emo motherfucker. Just, he does a podcast about drinking. Here's my cure tapes. Here's my old. Yeah, exactly. You didn't see me in the Smith shirt earlier? <laughs> uh, yeah, man. It was a different a different time. And it's right. It's almost like. The things you do while you're drinking, the way you behave, and like you can't get to recovery without that, right? I mean, that's just the way that it goes. I think you got to walk through that fire. Mm-hmm. Like Bukowski said, you know, what matters most is how well we walk through the fire, mm-hmm. you know, or through the flames, I guess it was. But, you know, it's funny thinking about it in these war stories. You know, I've heard worse. I've heard. Yeah. And, you know, infinitely worse. Like I was not an intravenous drug user. I didn't no. have any problems with any drugs. I was an alcoholic, but I do know the depths of what that intravenous drug user has been feeling internally because I felt them. Mm-hmm. I felt them like I, they, I can hear the story. I've been to some of those, you know, those rooms as well and heard the stories and been like, I know that. Mm-hmm. I know that, you know. Yeah, I fucking party guy in my 20s and punk rock and all that shit. But, it, you know, whatever it was I was doing. But like, I know I know that fire in me. I know what burns in me and I know what compelled me. And I know it's still there. It's just. It's not in the front seat anymore. No, it's not even in the back seat. No, it's like, it's, it's like a spare tire in the trunk. The, yeah, it you is. Know? You know that I'm never gonna use. It's a little know, donut, but, and it's like, yeah, man, I got a AAA card now. I don't need to fucking mess with you. But I gotta stay like recollected. I have to remember, like you know, you can like I always talk about your worst drunk too, mm-hmm. but like everything around it, I have to remember that because. It's not just like the collateral damage I've done to everyone around me, but that that fucking desperation in my heart, that thing in me that just kept pushing me forward to keep drinking. And I will drink if I die and I will, you know, I will die if I drink and I'll die if I don't drink. Yeah. That thing in me, I got to remember that fucking thing. Mm -hmm. I can't be afraid of it. I just have to remember that that's, you know, that's part of who I am. And yeah. You know, yeah. I got I got to say too and I've been kind of stressed out about some things lately and you know, part of me is always I had this thought and I was like, "Fuck, man, I just I just don't want to one I don't want to deal with anything, you know." And you know, what are whether I'm talking about like the financials or just in my personal life um mm-hmm. but it was just like and on top of that I got to be this fucking alcoholic and have this shit in my head all the time <laughs> I was like man I'm just tired of it you know like I right. I had this thought over the last couple of days and I was just like yeah fuck man can I just have a drink like a normal person and it was just funny because it was like no I mean you can't and it's not that's not the way it's going to work right so right. It, it's fine to have those thoughts um you know, for me, and I kind of, as long as I have that, you know, that internal monologue with myself or dialogue, I should say, and just Mm -hmm. remember like, that's, that's who I was. That's what I did. Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't have to be that person anymore. And there's a whole nother like world of relief in that. Like, Oh God, thank God. Yeah. Yeah. Could you imagine what you you did? But yeah. You don't have to do it again. Could I imagine what? I don't oh, know. Man, I waking up, waking shit. up to the in the backyard at uh, the sunrise, hot as fuck, with grass on your face, covered in ants. Because I'm in southern Arizona. <laughs> because my wife convinced me that moving back to Arizona was a good idea. Mm-hmm. Actually, she didn't convince me. I convinced myself of it. You know, instead of being like, well, yeah. 
And it wasn't even Arizona that was making me wake up in the backyard. It was that there was booze on every fucking corner and I'm an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine it. I can't. But I just can't. Yeah, I can't now. It would not. It doesn't even register like, oh, leaving my car downtown because I got too drunk. And I guess I'll just figure out whether or not it was in a towaway zone or not tomorrow. I don't have to stare at that stain on my ceiling anymore with a fucking migraine, you know, Mm -hmm. like I've never been drunk in this house. I don't know. I probably said on another podcast, but I've never been drunk in this house I've lived in. And like, I don't even know what it'd be like to walk this house drunk or to walk this house hungover. Mm. You know, I don't know. I don't know. Because it has the associated memory. Yeah. Yeah. You have been drunk in the house, but that was like, those were like your last drunks. Those were my very last ones. And they were, they were pretty they were pretty rough and pretty raw and you know, there's some memorable, um, when I say memorable is usually a, a, a positive connotation, but there were some memorable right. dark moments where it's like, Oh God. And remembering those things and, and knowing that again, that relief of not having to do it. And whew, yeah, yeah, that's a weight off my ass. I got yeah. other weights on my ass anyway. <laughs> well, I have that one extra. You don't need that's it. That's too much shit, dude. Yeah. I've got a I've got shit I gotta do. Mm-hmm. That's my new motto in life. I'm like, I've got shit to do. Like, no, I can't do I've got shit to do. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. It, I think uh, Mishka Shabuli says that. That was his quote. He told he was at some speech and he's like to to kids and he's like, Whatever you want to accomplish in life, alcohol will just get in the way of that. Yeah. You know, yeah. I always yeah, love that. You idea. Saying that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think yeah. about like those days and I think about hangovers too, you know, and we, I used to joke and talk about the rich tapestry of my hangover because it would be oh, like yeah, I the ups up and the downs the and yeah. mm-hmm. the, you know, the stomachs and the shits and the headaches and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's, um, I don't have to, those, those things don't have to exist anymore. Yeah. I have, I don't want to say I have control over it, but I have, I have knowledge that, you know, I have knowledge of what I'm capable of on both ends of the spectrum. And I really like the stuff that I'm doing now a lot better. (laughs) Your, your wake is much smaller. There's not this trail of destruction behind either of us anymore. I like the Dan Savage rule on his podcast. He talks about, you know, when having sex with people who are, Younger than you, not mm-hmm. young people, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, if you're anyway, he says it's like the campsite rule. You know, you got to leave it in better condition than when you found it. <laughs> and so that's kind mm-hmm. of how I feel about life now. My whole life is like a campsite rule. Like I want to leave the people around me in a better condition than the way I found them. Now, I don't want to go out and help them. I don't, you know, I don't, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. I'm not out here holding hands, helping everybody, but I want to make sure that at least their experience with me leaves something for them. And a lot of people will tell you that I'm full of shit because I am a hard person to be around a lot of the times. But I still, my heart's in the right place most of the time, yeah. you know, and I get better every day. So every day I'm like, what can I do? You know, at least to make everybody here win something. Yeah, I think that's a good, yeah. I think that's a good, good way to end it. The campfire rule. Yeah, I think so. Campfire rule. Thank you, Dan Savage. <laughs> Leave. I listen to this podcast all the time, dude. Which one's is it? What's it called? It's just called Savage Love. If, okay. if listeners out there, you got, Go check you got it out. sex, you got sex problems. Listen to Savage Love. It's awesome. Leave. I love Dan. Leave life Savage. better than you found it. Leave life better than you found it, y'all. Thanks again for listening. Our music, as always, is by Neglect. You can find more of his stuff at neglect.bandcamp.com. 
And you can find us on all social media platforms that matter, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can reach us at aisforalcoholic at gmail.com. Talk to you later. Yeah. <laughs>